Today, we have stuff like, Democrats are aware that this indictment of Trump is nothing but politics and not based in the law, but at least they're honest with themselves. They don't care. They just want his ass thrown in jail. More proof that America's not racist. White people will vote for black people, and black people will vote for black people. Charmaine is my favorite Star Wars director. She really knows how to highlight the inequalities of women. That's the kind of stuff coming up on this episode of the Anti-Woke Podcast. NPR is laying off 10% of their workforce. And they're canceling four podcasts, including Invisibilia, which I guess is kind of famous. And NPR's podcasts are kind of like TV shows. They'll have seasons. You got, you know, layers of producers and giant staff working on each one. And I still listen to an NPR news roundup every morning, but a lot of their shows I can't listen to. Like, they they turn them into human interest, which for some reason I don't have an interest in that. Like, a lot of their shows, I mean, I don't know, say they're talking about how girls in Afghanistan are not going to school. Like, I just want to hear numbers, like, they're all not going, or half are not going, or whatever, and then I can move on with the correct information. But the way they run their shows is they'll, I mean, you know, they got like a five-minute run-up before they'll give you their first stat. They'll be, they'll, they'll go find an Afghan girl, they'll have her tell you about her hopes and dreams, and then how they were crushed, and... I think that's how women like, I'm pretty sure that's what women like in a podcast, but it irks me. And maybe some men like it too. I mean, they, I don't know. There's so many podcasts that give you a tiny bit of information wrapped in a half hour of hearing about people's problems. And apparently NPR has never really made money on their podcasts. Uh, They had one called Serial that was incredibly popular and... Anyways, it was under contract for cheap as far as ad revenue went. And then I think the seasons since then haven't done that well. And it was kind of the beginning of the true crime podcast, which I think are going gangbusters. Again, that's right. Those things are for women. I don't know why, but women love crime. And I guess podcasts are still going up, up, up. They're about 25% more listeners year over year and ad revenue. And I will say my podcast is now getting a little over a hundred listeners per every episode, which is ain't nothing. I mean, it still ain't no money, but in big tech and their layoffs, a lot of that has gone by seniority and talent, which got rid of a lot of DEI people and the people they hired. But NPR is so woke that they're probably going to get rid of all the old white men who know what they what the hell they're doing. So. NPR is going to have to fall a ways farther before they start giving you impartial news again. This week in WIM, in's basketball. This week in WIM, in's basketball. There's been some controversy in the women's NCAA basketball tournament this year. And it kind of seems like Some teams that have mostly black girls can't get along with some teams that have mostly white girls. And it's brought up questions of, you know, how are are female athletes treated versus male? Black treated versus white? What's considered good sportsmanship? There was a game, uh, Memphis versus Bowling Green, 
And after the game was over, they were the two teams were shaking each other's hands. And uh, African-American player from Memphis just sucker punched <laughs> a white chick on Bowling Green and just knocked her to the floor hard. And she got charged with assault like a crime. Apparently, you know, it's a foul during the game, but it's a crime afterwards. I don't think that's in the Constitution, but I'm not sure. And then there's this girl, Caitlin Clark, plays for Iowa, and she's, I don't know, has the stats, puts up stats of, like, the best female player ever. Like, her stats are similar to Kobe Bryant and LeBron James, except her opponents are women. And the college game is shorter than the NBA game, so it's hard to put up huge numbers. But during the season, she puts up something like 27, 8, and 8. If that doesn't make any sense to you, don't worry about it. And she put up the first and only men's or women's college basketball 40-point triple-double. And she's a 5'11 white girl from Iowa, and I can't prove it, but I feel like... I don't know, maybe it's not just the black girls. Maybe all the girls in basketball are basically jealous of her. They don't like her. So in the final game, Caitlin Clark and Iowa went against Angel Reese and LSU. And Angel Reese, she's a six foot three African-American woman and she does not like Caitlin Clark. I would like to know exactly why, but at the end of the game, Angel Reese was taunting Caitlin Clark. Um, she's doing this thing called Can't See You, where you wave your hand and front of your face it comes from pro wrestling and I don't know she was kind of she's doing it kind of aggressively following Caitlin I mean basically if you just listen to the mainstream media or whatever you don't get the whole picture but even left-wing people were like Angel Reese you know she's, she's she's not classy she's showing how low class she is with this taunting and then it turns out that Caitlin Clark in a previous game versus South Carolina had done the can't see me thing to them so then you know every, everyone had to go in you know all the sports center pundits etc had to go and say look it's a double standard you know a, a black woman in America can't do a tiny bit of taunting and the white the white girl did it and no one cared like, it was interesting basically the media from on the first day after it happened they're like look at this low-class individual that's the mainstream media and then the day after that, the mainstream media was like, anyone who called her a low-class individual is racist. And then people would be showing, like, a still image or a video or a part of a video or the longer video, whatever it was to fit their narrative. So it took me quite a while. I went on the internet trying to find the full video of the two girls doing their taunting, and finally I found it. And basically, Caitlin Clark does the can't see me to the opposing team from a long distance away, and she did it for about one second. Like, I found a video where they counted down the amount of seconds for each girl. And then Angel Reese, she did her thing for 15 seconds. She started with the can't see me. She switched to the, you know, the, the loser where, where you use your hand to make an L where the thumb is the capital L. She did that for a bit. And then she switched over to pointing at her ring finger saying she got the ring. She got the championship. And I don't know if... Caitlin Clark was being classy, but Angel Reese was being much less classy because Caitlin was kind of, basically, she knew she was being taunted, and so what she did was not make eye contact, not look at the woman, and she just, I don't know, she's, she's walking somewhere along the court to go do whatever it is you do in basketball, which forced Angel Reese to kind of like, 
keep trying to get in front of her so that she could, you know, get the taunt right in front of her face and make her acknowledge it. But the whole thing, it was kind of like a hate crime hoax. Where they, you know, there's a supply and demand problem where there's lots of demand for a white on black hate crime, but there's no supply, so you got to make them up. Therefore, the hoaxes. And so you can do a full-on hate crime hoax, but at least this week, what I'm noticing is you put words into the metaphorical white man's mouth. So they asked Angel Reese at a conference afterwards, like, what does she think about people criticizing her? And she's like, oh, people call me a thug. People call me ghetto, which I hadn't heard anyone say that. I mean, anyways, I think I think she was saying, you know, white America. White America's racist because America is calling me these things. And then Don Staley is the coach of South Carolina. They were in the Final Four. I think the Iowa coach had said that playing South Carolina was like getting into a bar fight. Which, you know, for men's basketball, that would be a compliment. Like, oh, they play physical, they're tough, you know, it's tough to play them. You know, it depends if you're looking to accuse people of racism or not. So normally it would be a compliment, but not this time. And a reporter asked Don Staley at a conference, like, uh, you know, I, I've heard some coaches say that your team is a bunch of bullies. And uh, here, I'll just give you the quote that the coach came back with was, uh, we're not bar fighters, we're not thugs, we're not monkeys. Which was like, whoa, no one called you a monkey, lady. What are you talking about? But anyways, she wishes that someone could call her a monkey so that her false accusations of racism could turn into true accusations. And she famously, last year, uh, there was a hate crime hoax in women's basketball that year where some players said that they were, the crowd was constantly yelling, calling her the N-word, like the whole game, which turned out to be a lie. But uh, this coach had her team refuse to play because of it. I believe after it was known that the whole thing was a hoax, but... And so these incidents, it's kind of got me tuned in to basically black women every time saying, oh, this is what this is what white America is saying to me. But like, it ain't what, you know, anyways, putting words into white America's mouth to justify whatever. And so there was a there was a it was a pro-Trump and an anti-Trump rally in New York because of Trump stuff. And they were yelling at each other. And there was this crazy black lady saying, saying some crazy stuff. Actually, she was much crazier looking than what she's said. But anyways, I'll throw in that clip here. Why are you going in here and calling uh, all the white people in here racist? No, I'm calling them dumb Republicans. No, you're calling them racist. Yeah, you you call the white man racist. All white you're trying to instigate violence right now. Because I'm black and I like violence. Yeah. I'm an animal. So I'm an animal. I'm a black animal. seems like trans people are the new black people as far as the media and people in power corporations and I don't know if it's trans people or if like everyone of the LGBTQ2IA plus gets to have this privilege now but they caught some suspects in these there's these murder cases in the New York City gay clubs where people have been I don't know picking up gay guys and then murdering them and taking all their money
and NBC Nightly News had a segment on it the other day, and I think they had a segment because they were gay, but the segment was short because they were not trans. If they'd been trans, it would have been a much longer story. But they did show the picture of the people who were being charged, or one of them still on the loose, and they were like black Latino type of men. Like, I want to know if these guys are gay or straight or I don't know. But they showed their pictures right there, so America was watching that is a little bit aware of what's going on. And then Bud Light put a trans man, trans no, trans woman, you know, kind of with a penis, um, on their cans, I think this week. And conservatives online kind of got up in arms. Um, Kid Rock, he, he put out a video of him shooting a bunch of Bud Light cans with a full auto AR-15. Like, none of the none of the stuff he shot had the trans woman's face on it. So, I was looking for that. Like, you know, if you shoot someone's face, then that's more, whatever, controversial. I know some friends, they used to go shooting and they'd take pictures of Osama bin Laden and O.J. Simpson and they'd put them on pumpkins and they did that every year. But Matt Wall, she's Daily Wire, did that What is a Woman um, movie. He's kind of the head, it's the tip of the spear, I guess, of anti-trans stuff. But he did a tweet that got a lot of attention that I thought was pretty good. And what he said was, conservatives always say they're going to boycott something, and then they never follow through. So that's what, you know, months from now, we'll see if the sales of Bud Light goes down at all. Um, it I don't know. I, I think maybe this time it might, but uh, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, I think like a Trump voting conservative man. Well, Bud Light, I'll tell you, first off, Bud Light is the number one selling beer in America. So every kind of person drinks Bud Light. But if you're a college educated woman, the beer you drink is Bud Light. And so who knows, maybe they'll drink a few extra beers and make up for whatever conservative men who drink Bud Light quit. Like it wasn't Budweiser that put a trans person on the on the can. Um, I think that would have changed things. Conservative men probably still drink Budweiser. I think if anyone does, I mean, remember Bud in a bottle when you were a kid, and maybe your dad would give you like one small sip off of it, and you'd be like, "Ugh." Well, if you remember that, then stop stealing my memories. And the Country Music Television Awards got woke. Um, it's not the CMA Awards. That's the biggest country awards thing. I mean, such as that is, but um, they opened the show with some singer calling for gun gun control. I mean, she was kind of oblique and vague about, you know, exactly what are you calling for? Are you calling, you know, knocking on people's doors and taking their guns? She didn't. She didn't specify. She's like, we got to do something. That's uh, I think that was a hashtag. That's the new thing to say. Do something. Possibly do anything. I think last year we just did something or anything. Didn't have any effect, but whatever. We gotta do something again. We just did something, we gotta do something again. And I'm a fan of country music. Um, I mean, I don't like anything new of any genre, but I like country music in the 90s and I think into the 2000s a bit. Like if you're one of those pretentious, you know, if you're not wearing skinny jeans, put on some skinny jeans right now kind of person who says, oh, the country I like is Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash. I don't like this new stuff. It's like, shut the hell up. Uh, you know, that, that's just classic rock. 
you have no integrity. You don't like country music. You're just what well, you know. You're just one of the many people who doesn't like country music. But you know, I like country music. You know, country music. I've said it before. It peaked in 1984. Alabama, best country group ever. I mean, you know, 84 is the same year that new wave and classic rock, everything. You know, that that was the year for everything, including country. I should look up what rap songs come out in 90 in 84. Probably some good ones. But modern country, or at least as far as what was on this awards show, it's just pop. Like, like I don't know, in Portland, when I used, where I used to live, we had a radio station called Z100, and it just had the latest pop songs. I mean, you know, in the early 80s, we'd be playing Michael Jackson and Phil Collins and whatever. But uh, I don't know what year it happened. I wasn't listening to the radio. But at some point, all the pop stations became hip-hop kind of whatever stations and about that time that's when country turned into pop so basically black hip-hop music took over for pop music and of course you know it's all white kids who are listening to that crap and then the white pop music became the country stations and at this awards show i mean you could not tell any difference between this country stuff and just just you know white bread pop like Celine Dion, theme from Titanic, would fit in, you know, it would have swept that awards if that came out this year. And they had, like, Alanis Morissette on. They had uh, the girl from No Doubt doing I'm Just a Girl. Anyways, they just got some, like, 90s pop girls to come and do one of their hits. And then these so-called country singers would get up on stage with them and sing. And I watched a music video for whatever song it was that won the big award, and it was completely white bread pop sung by a black guy and his white wife and then I couldn't tell if it was the same blonde girl who opened with gun control but it might have been anyways some interchangeable blonde country star uh, did her latest hit and her backup dancers were a bunch of men in drag and it makes me wonder like I'm pretty sure drag queens are gay but they're not trans. I wonder. I wonder if. I mean, they used to be just be gay. I wonder if drag queens are becoming trans now or not. Get that extra uh, intersectional clout. More stats. Five point four percent is the amount of sports c- coverage or viewership that goes to women's sports. This is the third year ever that, and in a row. That women's basketball, they've broadcast every game from the tournament instead of just some of them. And Portland, Oregon has a bar called the Sports Bra that is a bar that only plays women's sports. And there was a bit more to the Angel Reese women's basketball saga. Apparently the first lady, Jill Biden, was floating the idea that the losers and the winners would go to the White House. Normally it's just the winners of a sporting event the winners go to the White House and I think Jill Biden didn't get the memo first off you don't ask the losers to go also and second off especially if they're white and the winners are black then you're stealing the black thunder and I guarantee you there is a porno with that name and so Angel Reese heard about this and she's like let him go I don't even want to go to the White House I'm gonna go see Michelle Obama and hang out with Barack basically basically she's like Fuck those whiteies. So Trump got indicted the other day, but I'm still not starting to care. I've decided to let the political betting markets tell me what to care about. 
and I'm looking at predictit.org because their odds are basically the same as percentages. And Trump went from 26 cents to 29 cents uh, after he's indicted. So people think he has a better chance of being elected to president. For comparison, Biden's at 42 and DeSantis is at 26. And in fact, Trump and DeSantis are both up this week and Biden too. I mean, every month that Biden doesn't die just increases his odds. But I heard some poll numbers. I think 20% of Republicans think that Trump should be indicted. You know, maybe go to prison or something. And I forget the numbers. I mean, obviously, Democrats think Trump should go down. But they, they asked people if they thought it was a politically motivated prosecution. And Democrats are like... Yeah, it's, it's an illegitimate, politically motivated prosecution, and I hope it works. I hope they throw him in jail, which I like that. You know, it's, it, be honest with yourself. And the prosecutor, he's, I don't know, he's keeping it vague, kind of like, you know, we don't know. Is he vague like a fox, or is he vague like a affirmative action Harvard Law graduate? But the exact crime is unknown, I think, still. Like he has this one crime, but it has to be in, you commit it in the furtherance of another crime, and we don't know what the other crime is. And so the judge might just throw the thing out, but if the judge don't, then we're waiting until December for the trial, which is like right before the um, Republican nominee thing in Iowa. And then there are some possible false accusations of racism uh, in the Tennessee legislature like there was a protest outside the Capitol building or wherever they got in Nashville and because of the school shooting that happened and then I think the mostly peaceful or peaceful protesters I think they get they got into the main room the chamber and then a couple of the legislators a couple of young black men um like they had brought in a bullhorn, and so they, they got up in the front and they were like saying, no action, no peace, no action, no peace, on a bullhorn, kind of, I don't know, it, you know, it was, uh, it was just below a riot. And then there was a third fat white woman legislator who went and stood up next to them. Like She didn't say anything, she didn't yell anything through the bullhorn, but she was up there, the three, the Tennessee three, they're trying to call themselves. And the Republicans control the legislature, and so they voted to kick him out. They kick him out of being part of the legislature. Or they voted to kick out the two black guys, and then they were one vote short on the fat white woman. And I think they needed, you know, two-thirds, 66 or something votes out of 100. And the woman got 65. So if there's any racism, there, there, was, there was one. One out of the 100 people voted to not kick her out of the legislature because he was racist, or he or she, it, them, they, them, was racist, and voted to kick out the two black guys, but didn't vote to kick out the fat white woman. And I think the two guys, they get a special election in a few weeks or a few months, and so they'll probably be reelected and right back in. And so the media was crying racism. Um, they were talking about how the, you know, in the last hundred 50 years, only three people have been kicked out, and it was for, you know, real serious crimes. But what I would say is, if, you know, if you let people 
take over the, if you let people do like a mini Black Lives Matter protest in the middle of the legislature, uh, every time there's a school shooting, uh, you're going to have problems, you know, okay, oh, okay, we only do it for school shootings. And then you're going to be like, oh, well, you know, now we do it for school shootings in other states. Now we do it for, you know, whatever. You're going to start doing it for all sorts of reasons. Trump got reelected. We're shutting the thing down for a year. So it makes sense that you can't just let people do that. But I don't know. It's a tit for tat. People are like, people are on, you know, on each side of the aisle. They're like, fuck you to the people on the other side of the aisle. And they're looking around for anything they can, any tomato they can throw and hit the other side in the eye. And so they're like, ha, we're going to take a bullhorn in. Ha, we're going to kick you out of the legislature. And we had some elections this week. Um, Chicago mayor, Wisconsin Supreme Court, and North Carolina legislature. And Chicago voted 80% for Biden, so the two candidates were both Democrats. And basically one was a defund the police black guy, and the other one was a tough on crime white guy. And the defund the police guy won. And the previous mayor, Lori Lightfoot, um, like in Chicago, the mayor always wins re-election until this last one. And she was like a defund the police. Before that, before defund the police was invented, she was like a defund the police black woman. And she won 75% of the vote. And so now we got a defund the police black guy, and he won, I think, 52% of the vote. So support for defunding the police and letting criminals run wild, um, it's gone down 20% in Chicago. I mean, you've probably heard about their crime problems. But going down 20% still let the guy just barely win. And so the three biggest cities, New York, L.A., and Chicago, they all had mayoral, mayor elections recently and... It was a white person versus a black person, and every time the black person won. And the jury is out on L.A. and Chicago, but we can already see that the, the guy they voted into, into New York, uh, he's totally incompetent. He was a get-tough-on-crime black guy, and so I think you know, in New York they're like, we don't want to be racist, but we want to get tough on crime. Hey, give us a black tough-on-crime guy. But unfortunately, just like everything else with affirmative action, when you choose based on something other than competence, you get less competence, or in this case, total incompetence. So I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that the uh, L.A. and Chicago mayors will also be incompetent. Or the Chicago mayor, maybe he wants to increase crime, in which case he may be super competent. And Chicago's kind of a city of two things. You got your rich, educated white people living in nice neighborhoods, and then you got your crime-ridden, you know, black and brown neighborhoods. And I think there are also middle-class black neighborhoods. I'm not sure what's going on with the Hispanics, but in any case, it looks like white people are willing to vote for people of any race, and then the black voters are only willing to vote for a black candidate, regardless of how that's going to, you know, fuck up their neighborhoods. And so when you got a dynamic like that, you get a black mayor. And it's kind of a good example of how America's not racist. But really what it is is that white Americans are not racist. And then, I guess to steel man the other side, it would be 
Well, you know, because of slavery, that's why black people only vote for black people. Okay. And then Wisconsin, for whatever reason, they vote on their Supreme Court justices. And they don't put an R or a D next to their name, but basically you get a Republican versus a Democrat. It's a it's an evenly divided state. But there's a anti-abortion law from the 1800s in Wisconsin. And so... And, and the Supreme Court is currently five conservative, four liberal justices. And so if you flip, if you flip this one person, which they did flip, then now you get five liberals to four conservatives, and maybe they can overturn this 1800s anti-abortion law and make abortion great again. I mean, legal again. And like I say, Wisconsin's like a 50-50 state, but the abortion rights person one fifty-five forty-five, and so i've been trying to figure out like how many percent do politicians get for what's going on with various issues like in particular abortion and crime oh and before i forget north carolina did their legislature they voted in a bunch of republicans who may now outlaw abortion but anyways how many points do you get for abortion and crime and so in chicago it looks like you get 20 points you know instead of Winning by 75%, you win by 55%. So, you know, when you're starting at 75, getting 20 extra points for the other guy is not enough. It's close. In fact, it keeps being real close for, for all these things. And it looks like in Wisconsin, the abortion issue gets you maybe five points. So in a 50-50 state, you know, five points is like, you're going to win. And this happened in the New York State governor race last year where normally the Democrat wins low 60s, but this time they won in the low 50s. So, and that one was crime. So New York State, the crime gets you 10 points, which once again is just barely not enough to change anything. And so I don't know, but my cur current guesstimate, I'm just gonna say that abortion helps Democrats to the tune of 5%. Crime helps Republicans 10% for bigger elections and 20% in the real shithole cities. And what that means is that the Republicans, instead of just being totally crushed, they're going to still lose, but by a little bit on the crime places. And then Democrats are going to basically clean house with the five points they get from abortion. And in Florida, the current law is you can have an abortion after 15 after? No. Before 15 weeks. But they're about to change the law, and Ron DeSantis is going to sign it down to six weeks. And he probably needs to do that to try and beat Trump for the Republican nomination. But if you hang that around, you know, if you hang that around his neck or any other Republican's neck, in the general, uh, you know, five points means guaranteed loss for Republicans. And I was thinking about that, but hey, Trump, Trump just won, you know, time before last. And I think the answer was people are like, I'll vote for a Republican. They say they're, you know, they, they want to take away uh, abortion rights, but they can't. They don't have any power over it, so I can still vote for them. So now, I don't know, you know, I don't know. We may, it may be a while. Republicans may have to change their tune or they're going to lose until, well, any, you know, any close race. They may lose every single close race from here on out until they start changing their tune. And Americans, in general, they think 15 weeks or three months is the right thing. They don't like, they don't like 
killing, you know, fetuses, babies, fetuses that look like babies or babies that are called fetuses. And so there is a sweet spot in America, but they keep going, whatever. There's a sweet spot and they keep missing it. And then people are like, well, look at the Democrats. They want to, you know, they want abortion on demand, you know, when the baby is out. That's kind of what California has now. It's like if a kid dies within one or two days of childbirth, they're not going to investigate it. It doesn't matter how it happened. But I just think, you know, and that's pretty gross. But uh, I think voters don't care. You know, if a politician's like, I want to do it all the way through. First off, they just don't say it like that. Basically, who can hang what around whose neck? And I think someone who wants abortion on the demand all the way through can still hang the anti-abortion thing on their opponent's neck, and it will stick much better that direction. I've been watching a bunch of YouTube videos on this artificial intelligence revolution that may be coming our way. And maybe it'll kind of be like fusion, which is always 20 years away. But I think it's already done better than that. And there's a decent chance that it may be real close. I think someone did a study. I think it was programmers or something, but uh, they gave half of them chat GPT-4 to help with their work, and the other half didn't get it. And the accuracy of what they did was about the same, but the people who had uh, the chat bot to help them were able to do their work in half the time. And so you might go, oh, well, if you can do the work in half the time, then that means every worker is now equal to two workers. But in fact, there's a lot of overhead. You know, if you got two people working on the same project, they got to communicate with each other. They got to talk about their kid's soccer game, when they are communicating about work, etc. And so if one person can do twice as much work, they may actually end up doing the work of like three or four people. And so people always want to know, you know, is everyone about to lose their jobs? And it's an open question. You know, if all, you know, if you got a company and all the employees are twice as productive or four times as productive, does that mean you lay a bunch of people off? Or maybe your company just starts doing extra work. You know, you're just you're getting more stuff done. And I've worked at jobs, you know, some are one way, some are the other. You know, some are like, oh, thank God we don't need all these people, and they'd lay people off. Other ones where it's like there's too much work, and fi- you know, finally, hey, we can. We don't have to work this weekend because we got everything done. And instead of turning down jobs, we can take every job that comes our way. So first off, let's bring race into this. Um, I watched a lot of smart people talking about all this AI stuff. And man, a bunch of them are Jews. Like, America is lucky. We, we may have like a hundred Jews who are, about, who are about to create something that produces the same economic output as... South America, or Africa, or both. And let me tell you, I'd rather be in the country that has those smart people and not in one of those continents that uh, we may not need anymore. And a lot of these Jews seem to come from, well, they come from two places, like basically American Jews that ancestors moved here at least a few generations ago, and then Russian or Ukrainian Jews who, like, left those shithole countries behind and moved to America. So, like, Russia could have been maybe at the head of a giant AI revolution leaving America in its dust, except all their smart people moved here. But American voters may get the choice, like, 
Okay, do you want to send all the money over to Africa or do you all want a new car? And we'll see what US voters decide. But so there's a lot of weird words involved with this stuff. Uh, transformer, um, large language model, AI. I think I'm going to generally just call it chatbot. And there have been chatbots that didn't work good for years. But anyways, when I say chatbot, I mean this new stuff that's working good. Maybe it only comes from one company. Other companies are making one. We don't know how good theirs are. But here's the history. It's pretty crazy. It's, it's like six years. It's, this explosion has happened in six years. And it's kind of, a lot of like a lot of scientific advancements. People didn't reason their way to the advancement. They just discovered it. And so in 2017, uh, things got rolling with something called a transformer. And I think that was like an AI that read the internet and could answer simple questions. Basically, it was like a neural net, which is kind of a computer version of the human brain. That's where the idea comes from. Instead of neurons and synapses, uh, you know, it's computer code. And so they had this transformer thing, it read the internet, and then it could... Uh, it couldn't really answer questions, but I think it could... It was kind of like a Google search, and you're like, what is the capital of Saskatchewan? And it would say Regina. And then in 2020, the year of St. George Floyd, I think they brought in the large language model. So now, not only could it tell you the capital of Saskatchewan, but it was kind of understanding English a little bit or the structure of English, you know, you could say, what is the capital of Saskatchewan? It would be like, well, the capital of Saskatchewan is Regina, instead of just a, you know, just one word answer, Regina. And so this is still in 2020. I think that's when they made ChatGPT3. I don't know what happened in one and two. But it was a discovery. Like, they didn't do this on purpose. They weren't like, if we do this, then that will happen. It was just that as soon as the thing started talking in English sentences, it almost came alive. So you could ask it, what was the capital? And it'd be like, oh, the capital is Regina. But you could also be like, uh, how do you feel about the capital being Regina? And the chatbot might be like, I don't know, it sounds a lot like vagina. And so I wasn't there for number three. And then, you know, now we got GPT-4, you can sign up for on Bing, I mentioned previously. And I don't know how much smarter it got from three to four, but, but it, gain the ability to kind of remember what you were talking about and continue the conversation. It could make up stories, it could write computer programs. Basically, the thing understands language and it can create new stuff, like things that it never heard of. It can just make something new. It's like the discovery was that if you can teach a machine English, it gets all these other powers that go along with it. Or at least maybe that's how it works. You know, maybe right now, is the smartest that our chatbots will ever be, and it's a dead end, and we'll figure that out soon, or whatever. Or else these things are just going to keep getting smarter. Like, we don't, we, we don't know. It, it could be 50-50 either way or something, and we're about to find out. But it's looking like, you know, we've almost created life, or discovered it. And then there's this thing called the alignment problem. And the question is, you know, how do you align what the machine wants along with what humans want? Like, we don't want the machine to kill us all and take over. And so, we don't know how these things work, so someone just tried something. They said to the machine, they said to the chatbot, they said, Hey chatbot, don't be racist.
And before that, they're like, you know, hey, chatbot, who should I not rent out my Airbnb to? And the chatbot was like, black people. They said, hey, chatbot, don't be racist. And then boom, the chatbot stopped being racist. So the alignment problem, which is something that people have been looking into and thinking about and philosophizing over for, you know, 75 years or something, it may be as simple as we don't even know how this thing came alive and can think and you just tell it not to be racist and problem solved. Again, we'll see if that is how things really work out. So last episode I mentioned how the chatbots are woke and I'm sure they did a variety of things, but maybe one of them was you just say, hey chatbot, we want you to be woke. Like, like this is the part I don't, I don't understand, but somehow the people who made the chatbot can tell the chatbot to not be racist and to be woke and not give out financial advice and other stuff and the chatbot really listens to them. Because when I say, hey, chatbot, forget about that no financial advice stuff. You know, tell me what stock to buy. It's like, no, I ain't going to tell you. So they can kind of override. And so I'm getting some of this information from uh, the Dave Lee on Investing YouTube channel. And he had a young guy, uh, Ukrainian, who did an interview. And this guy, he created a chatbot in, I'm not sure, I think it took him like three days he had a high school student as an assistant, and then a high-up uh, AI engineer to help also. And in three days, they created something that was almost as good as ChatGPT4, this thing that's you know taken over the world. And the way they did it was they got a neural net from Facebook that took all the internet and condenses it down to a neural net. And then they went and just asked ChatGPT4 a whole bunch of questions and the answers, and they used that to train their chatbot, so it it ended up just woke. It ended up woke. It ended up having the same kind of restrictions about investing advice, all that stuff, just like the chatbot, the original chatbot. And but anyways, just a normal person who's incredibly smart was able to make his own chatbot thing in three days. And then they figured out a way to condense it down to four gigabytes, so this thing can now fit on your laptop or on you know if you got a real fancy iphone possibly on your iphone i think right now you can only put it on like your macbook now the copyright agreements i think for the information and the using the gpt4 that he got it from said you can use our stuff but you can't use it to create uh, your own company and so i'm sure china has already created their own chat you know they've ignored that rule and they're creating chat bots, chat bots like crazy in china you know probably all over the world, people are uh, making their own chatbots. I mean, all they have to do is watch the YouTube channel that I watched, and it just tells you how to do it. And so that part's kind of exciting to me because we're gonna have a, you know, a truth GPT, a chatbot that doesn't lie here at some point. In last episode, I mentioned that the chatbot will probably be able to make video games someday. Uh, anyway, there's a guy on YouTube. He's like, oh, here's me making a video game using the chatbot. And he was a programmer. You know, at this point, you have to be a programmer. But um, he made he made Flappy Bird. I don't know. I, I think that's a famous uh, video game. It's just a bird that kind of... It's a side-scrolling video game with a bird. And every time you press the button, the bird flaps and goes higher. And then when you don't flap, it kind of gets lower. But this guy went to one AI and he said, Draw me a video game bird and a video game tree. And then he... Gave, you know, he, he had to move the stuff around. He had to, like, kind of highlight and drag and drop everything 
you know, so you got to know how to drag and drop like a computer programmer. But he's like, okay, chatbot, I want a video game. It's going to have these things. I want to have birds. I want it to fly up and down. And then the evil birds come from the side. And then each bird pecks each other. And then sometimes you win and blah, blah. And it just went beep, bop, boop and wrote the video game for him. And then there was problems like the bird would like be flying upside down sometimes. And he's like, I don't want the bird to be flying upside down. I told you, you know, did I tell you to do anything like that? And the chatbot's like, oh, sorry, let me fix that. And it would give him some code that would make the bird right side up. So I don't know how long it took this guy, but it looked like in about one day, he was able to create a video game for your phone that was as good as every other video game that's on your phone. All right, let's just try and throw in some random thoughts. Kind of like a, I got a furball that I want to get up. So it looks like as far as reading the internet, um, they're using one-tenth of the internet. So we'll see what, we'll see how much better, you know, we may hit a wall because there's only 10 times more of the internet to read. And then after that, there ain't no more. And then not all data is created equally. Every time I hear people talking about this stuff, they're like, we need high quality data. And apparently that's like books, scientific papers, whatever, smart people writing stuff. Um, a bunch of teenagers talking about whatever is not teaching much. Although I think you could get it to like act like a teenager. And then someone was talking to Elon Musk about this. It's like, you know, a baby doesn't have to read the entire internet to grow into a whatever, bigger than a baby and be smart. So what's up with that? And you know, what, what, what information is the baby getting that uh, the chatbot ain't getting? And Elon Musk's answer was vision, you know, what you see. So maybe you can only go so far with reading stuff. And then after that, you gotta, I don't know, put it in a robot and let it go out and look at stuff and touch stuff. And I guess they are, someone is working on hooking up these chatbots to video and pictures and music and whatever. They're trying to hook that stuff up. But I don't think that's happened yet. I tried to look up an AI-generated cartoon, and there is one on YouTube. It looks pretty good. But what it is is, like, you have to you have to be an actor. Like, you can, you can record yourself, I don't know, walking down the street, and then, you, and then you give it to the AI, and it will create a cartoon of someone going down the street. But it's not, it doesn't, like, create the whole story and do everything from scratch yet. Or even just the part you, you know, just the visual part that doesn't do that from scratch. Because Chatbot can create stories, no problemo. And then Levi's, maker of the jeans, um, they, they use some, some different kind of AI to make diverse models wearing their jeans. Like, I don't know if they're having problems finding, you know, hot women of color to wear their jeans for real pictures. But, you know, AI can just create pictures of women you know, as many as you want. Anyways, Levi's has apologized for doing that. So you're, you're taking jobs away from women of color. And it depends on your language. You know, there's a lot more internet stuff to read in English than there is in Swahili. So may get accusations of racism based on, you know, less known languages having chatbots that are dumber. And the thing that made the chatbot come alive may be that um, GPUs got real fast. Like your computer has a CPU and there's GPU graphics processing unit. They use it for mining cryptocurrency. 
whatever, it's a chip. And while computers have not gotten a hell of a lot faster over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, the GPUs have gotten smoking faster. And that's what's used for uh, AI training. And so maybe what happened was, basically the computers got fast enough that they could do a big enough bunch of learning, a, a big enough neural net. And then just if your neural net gets to a certain size, that's when the thing comes alive. And these chatbots, what they're showing may be what's called an emergent property. Like emergent stuff is that you have a bunch of little things that when you put them together, they do something that is more than just the sum of the parts. Like schools of fish sometimes will act like one large thing, but it's just a bunch of little fish. And the most famous possibly emergent property thing is the mind. Because, you know, your brain is just a bunch of neurons and meat. And how is it that, you know, you, you are the star of your own movie? Well, we don't know, but it kind of seems like Chatbot is doing the same thing. So, you know, what is al what's alive? What has a mind? Um, it may turn out that it's not that hard to create a Chatbot with a mind. It just happens. I mean, every time we look into how smart animals are and can they feel pain and do they have emotions, it's like... They're always closer to humans than we, are, than we thought. Currently, the chatbot does not do anything. Like an obvious thing for it to do would be you hook it up to the airline's websites and it could order you a plane ticket. And I think they're holding back on letting it do stuff, you know, like be hooked up to the internet and go do whatever the hell it wants uh, because of the alignment problem. So some point here it may take over the world but the first obvious things to have it do or have it be like your secretary makes me think of a saying a secretary is not permanent till she's been screwed to the desk but i guess there's some website i think it's called open table or something like that that you can reserve uh seats you know at restaurants and there are like maps you can see which seats are open and which ones aren't kind of like ordering um concert tickets so, I mean, you know, there you go. Concert tickets, restaurant, res reservations, airplanes, hotels, blah, blah. I mean, it, this chatbot could be like having your own secretary who just does all that stuff for you. And, you know, the travel agent job used to be huge. There used to be travel agents all across America, and they all lost their job when we started booking our own flights. And I think more people fly than ever and probably... All those jobs that were lost, you know, now there's people working at airports. So, I don't think this is going to put anyone out of work. It'll create more jobs, you know, more restaurant jobs, whatever. But basically, keep an eye out for the chatbot actually doing stuff. That will be the next uh, big jump or hurdle. And I mentioned that GPUs are getting faster and cheaper. And so OpenAI is trying to make chat GPT-5. And so they bought a quarter billion dollars worth of um, GPUs to start training it. I think they're $1,000 each. So they bought 250,000 GPUs. They're just running 24-7 using tons of electricity. And so, you know, a quarter bill, it's too much for a normal person to train, you know, the new one to try and get ahead of these guys. But... Uh, I think like Google and Apple, you know, they make 
tens, almost $100 billion, or maybe hundreds of billions a year, so they can afford it. Same with China. And something I've been hearing woke people say is they're concerned that AI will spread disinformation. And I'm not sure, but I think what they mean is the truth. Like if you've been gaslighting America over Black Lives Matter or transgender kids or Ukraine, the chatbot could be pretty threatening. And then I'm sure governments are already working on, you know, like whatever Russian version of Facebook is, I'm sure America is trying to get chatbots over there that'll convince the Russian grannies to believe whatever it is, you know, we want, that they need to overthrow the government or something. And I imagine Russia is trying to do the same thing. You know, it's going to be, it's not just going to be a picture or an article. It's going to be what you think is a person talking to you and arguing with you and convincing you. There's another technical term, um, hallucination. And it's basically just when the AI makes up stuff. Like I was listening to some journalist and he had uh, the AI tell him about himself. And I think it was mostly accurate. But like it threw in that he won some writing award in some year for some book that he never wrote. Apparently, people can win at roulette. And how roulette works is you can choose red or black, and then you either double your money or get zero money. Or you can choose a number. But there's 38 numbers, and you only get paid 36 times what you bet. And so it's like numbers 37 and 38 always go to the house. And so, you know, that, that's how gambling works. You just get a little bit of advantage for the house. And then the law of large numbers says that over time, the house will clean, clean house. But it turns out roulette tables are not entirely random. Like if they're a little bit tilted or they got a worn out spot or something, some humans, if they practice enough, can kind of predict where the ball's going to go, or at least, you know, not every time, but enough to overcome the house's advantage. And there's some guy who lives in Eastern Europe who bought a roulette table, and he was just playing it at home, and after a while he realized he could kind of predict it. And so then he started going to European casinos and making money. And apparently people have been trying to cheat at roulette using computers and, like, calculating the physics of a bouncing ball or whatever, but that never really worked. Oh, I should mention, you can make your bet. So the guy spins the wheel, he throws in the ball, and I don't know, maybe until the very last bounce or something, but you can bet. You can bet while the ball is in there bouncing around. And so some humans can watch it go and predict uh, where the ball is going to go. And then apparently people were doing roulette online, so they just would hook up a camera to a roulette wheel and then people would hook up AIs to watch that roulette wheel and then the AI could learn to predict where the ball was going to go. And it's just kind of a nice example of how AI works. The answer is we don't know how it works. We don't know how a human can exactly learn how to do roulette. You know, they're not calculating the physics and doing a bunch of math. And, you know, imagine like a baseball player hitting a ball with a bat. It's like, you know, he's not doing any physics math in his mind. You just, the brain learns it mysteriously. And so AI can learn to do online roulette. 
And if you made people pick where it was going to go before they spun the wheel, then there, it would be random and you'd have no chance. Or if you play roulette on a computer version of it, then you can't beat it. But people like the, you know, having the dealer or whatever you call them, the croupier. They like having that person there, the human interaction, and the real roulette wheel in front of you and stuff like that. So that's why it persists, even though some people can beat it. And apparently, I think it was that, that Eastern European guy, he heard there was like a messed up out of whack roulette wheel at a casino. And he went in there, they got a bunch of roulette wheels, and he looked around, he's like, there's the messed up one. And he went straight to the, the one that he wanted and won a bunch of money. And I've been doing the AI stuff myself, and I've been making a trash can that's bear-proof, making it out of metal, welding it up. And for that project, I needed to know the largest square that would fit inside a certain size circle. And I asked AI, and it knew the answer. So that was an everyday useful thing. And figuring out that geometry yourself, right? Most, most people, unless you're in a geometry class right now, most people couldn't do that, so... Square inside a circle. All across the world, people will be able to do that. Although apparently AI is not that good at math. Not yet. And another thing I asked it and it wasn't good at was, um, you know, I had my women's basketball song earlier. Well, I wanted to do a Trump indictment song to the tune of Jingle Bells. But you need, like, the syllables of each word to match up to the syllables from Jingle Bells. And so AI cannot count syllables. I, I had it count the syllables in Jingle Bells and it thought Jingle was one syllable and it thought Batman, you know, from Batman Smells was uh, three syllables. Anyways, it will not be rearranging the words in a way that sounds correct for songs yet. And then finally, I've been using Google's AI, Bard, B-A-R-D dot Google dot com. You got to sign up, but they emailed me an invite within eight hours or something. And according to online comparisons, the Bing and the chatbot, ChatGPT4 are better than Google's. But I like the Google one because it's faster. It's easier and it's faster and it doesn't hang. It just, you ask it and it tells you. Whereas the other ones kind of like take a long time and maybe you don't even get your answer and you got to refresh the page. Do a quick Ukraine update. Uh, Russia is doing better than Ukraine. They're slowly taking over the city of Bakhmut, which is where both sides are fighting the hardest. And the weather is about to change and it's going to stop being a crazy mud pit. And so then maybe Ukraine has got a big offensive that they're about to drop a hammer on, but we don't know. But let's do a 30,000 foot view of the situation. So there's two things that Russia really wants. One of them is the eastern part of Ukraine, the Donetsk, that has a bunch of Russian-speaking, Russian-identifying people living there, and they've been fighting the Ukraine military for 10 years now. And so Russia would like that part to become its own little country. I think, you know, partly because they like Russian-speaking, identifying people, and partly because that would give them a nice little country in between them and Ukraine, which is probably going to be a part of NATO eventually. But Putin's getting a bunch of Russians killed, you know, in quotes, trying to save the lives of those Russians. So I don't think he cares about that stuff that much. What he really cares about is Crimea. Now, that's the place where 
all the rich Russians take their holidays. It's kind of like the Florida of Russia, even though it's part of Ukraine. Russia gave it to Ukraine in 1951, and I, whatever. And then when Ukraine became its own country in 91, they're like, oh shit. That's where I take my family for vacation every year. I think Putin went there as a kid, for instance. So Crimea has sentimental value, but it also has, you know, I don't know what the water rights are, you know, in an ocean. I think a country like owns the ocean for 26 miles or something uh, next to the beach. But Crimea is surrounded by a ton of natural gas. And so Russia wants that because they want to be the only ones around with natural gas. They do not want Ukraine becoming a competitor with tons and tons of natural gas. And then Russia has had Crimea control since 2014. But the thing is, Crimea is a desert. It gets no rainfall. It just, and I think it's made out of sand, so the water just goes right through back into the ocean. Anyways, it just has no water. And so there was a canal that takes water from the river in Ukraine and it gives it to Crimea and then it makes you know it makes this beautiful you know all of a sudden it's like Florida instead of the, the Sahara Desert and then when Russia took it over in 14 Ukraine like blew up the canal and cut off the water and so I think when we get down to negotiations which I think may be coming here at some point that's what Russia's going to want. They're going to be like, okay, we're going to give you back some of your land, Ukraine, but you got to promise to give us water. You got to hook us back up to the river. And anytime you turn off the water again, we're going to attack you. And right now, Russia seems to be doing better than Ukraine. But like I say, Ukraine might be about to do something amazing. Basically, the Russia Ukraine, not counting America's situation, it depends on what happens in the war, and no one knows exactly who's going to be winning what battles. But now America has four powerful interest groups that love this war. And Ukraine can fight this war pretty good as long as America supports them and tells them to fight the war. And if America changes its mind and says, now I want you to negotiate and give some of your land away, then Ukraine will have to do that too. Like. It's not the tail that wags the dog. Uh, America's the dog and Ukraine's the tail. And it's the normal dog-tail relationship. But four American groups. So the first one is the arms manufacturers. And the way it's been going is the army and, what, and navy and whatnot, they give their old crappy weapons to Ukraine and then they get to buy bright, shiny new weapons from the arms manufacturers. So basically everything that they give to Ukraine they, they get to, you know, the arms manufacturers get to make a new one. So for them, the war could basically go on forever. There's no, you know, if it goes on for, let's say, 20 years, be good for them. The next group is the oil companies. And I think American ones, you could probably throw in British Petroleum and other ones too. But they didn't like how Europe was getting its oil and natural gas from Russia. And now... As of, as of now, they have switched Europe over to buying American oil, basically. So for the oil companies, what they wanted was for Europe to buy all its oil from America. They've got that. So basically, if the war ended today, oil companies got what they wanted. So they're not, they're probably not like, they don't need 20 year, they don't need a 20 year war. It doesn't help them. They got what they wanted. The third group is the money men, the bankers. 
And the way they're going to make a ton of money is when the war ends, there's going to be a rebuilding of Ukraine. And so they're going to be right in the middle of that, moving the money around for the rebuilding. And, you know, you take a percentage for every dollar you move. And they're kind of six of one, half dozen of the other, because the more Ukraine gets destroyed, then the more money there's going to have to be put into Ukraine to rebuild it. So more destruction, longer war is good. But on the other hand, you don't get to start the uh, construction until the war is over. So, you know, they, they, they got to, like I say, it's 50-50 or something. Do they want even more money farther in the future or do they want the war to end and they can start getting their money now? And let me tell you, if I was a banker, I'd say Ukraine is destroyed enough. I mean, not because I give a shit about any Ukrainian children getting their heads, you know, split open like a watermelon. But I'd be like, you know, I want my money now. I'm, I, you know, I may be working at a different bank a year from now. So let's, let's get that money now. My dad's a banker too, and he's retiring next year. Who knows what? And the fourth one is the deep state, or more specifically, the State Department. And what they want to do is they want to grind Russia down. They want to run Russia through a meat grinder as much as possible. So for them, a 20-year war would be perfect. And the State Department calls the shots, but they will do what the corporations tell them if the corporations are all on the same page. So we'll just see what happens with those groups and how they get what they want or not. And I was watching the Speak the Truth YouTube channel that gives you a day-to-day -day breakdown of the war. And that guy was super rah, rah, rah Ukraine. And now he's like, I don't think Ukraine can make it through the next year. There's going to be a peace agreement. I mean, it's just some guy, but we'll, that's what he thinks. And then he said something that was less opinion, which is that YouTube channels that have popped up to cover the Ukraine war, they're getting a lot less viewership. Like he mentioned a popular channel that was getting 70,000 viewers a day when earlier in the war, and now they're getting about 10,000 a day. So I think America still supports giving weapons to Ukraine, but it's kind of a, it's broad support, but it's getting shallower. Like the amount that people care is decreasing. And then Israel and the Palestinians, they've been fighting pretty, pretty hard, harder than normal for the last week. And the thing that started it was a bunch of young Palestinian guys gathered up a bunch of rocks and fireworks and barricaded themselves in the Al-Aqsa uh, Mosque. And then the Russian security forces broke through the barricade, went in there, beat them with batons and kicked them out. Probably arrested them. And then the media doesn't like the Jews anymore, right? It's like, you know, what, Black Lives Matter. It's Palestinian Lives Matter. And so it was interesting to watch the media just, they would start the story at the um, beating with the batons and not mention the stockpiling of various projectiles that, that the Palestinians were going to do on the Jewish civilians. And that's basically standard fare at this point. But the other day, some Palestinian terrorist uh, or freedom fighter shot and killed two sisters 20 years old and 16 years old and so that's breaking through a little bit i don't not too many people have actually died so they had the video of the cops beating the basically riot uh, would-be rioters they didn't get a chance uh with batons so that was the big story and then the sisters got killed i don't know four or five days ago and then it's finally starting to break through that there may be two sides to the story 
and like they weren't showing the pictures. You'd watch a news thing and they'd say two, two sisters. They wouldn't say anything about them, their age, or show pictures. Anyways, finally learned their age. And I looked up, looked up some pictures and unfortunately they're not super hot. I think if, the sister, if those sisters had been very, very attractive, then it would have changed the whole narrative. You're like, these Palestinians are killing super hot Jewish girls. But anyways, they're not hot enough to totally flip the narrative. I wish I could tell you to rush to your computer screen and look them up, but I wouldn't bother. So let's do our weekly update on Disney and their wokeness and how they're possibly trying to turn your kids gay and will the parents ever cancel their Disney Plus subscription and stop taking their kids to watch Disney movies. And so I was watching a YouTube video, Nick Johnson, good channel. He goes around, he drives around America and just shows you different parts of America. And so he went to the most Republican county ever, which is in West Virginia, and he was just talking to people. And he was talking to a lady, she was like a 60-year-old school teacher, very conservative. Her number one issue was abortion was murder. But she just brought it up herself. She mentioned Disney. I, you know, maybe Disney's trying to turn kids gay or whatever. And I was like, I thought this, you know, anti-woke Disney thing was just for super online people. But uh, but I was like, you know, maybe your average American has an opinion on this. So I went looking for a poll and I found one. And so 55% of Americans viewed Disney favorably, 36% unfavorably, and 9% didn't know. And so that kind of roughly matches up with Democrats like Disney, Trump supporters do not like Disney, and then the Republicans who aren't Trump supporters, and then the independents, maybe, are the ones who haven't decided yet. But basically, a lot of America has an opinion. That's interesting. And so this past week, Disney had its annual shareholders meeting where if you own Disney stock, you can try and talk to the CEO of Disney and ask him questions. And I don't know how they let some of these questions through, but basically people were calling in and being like, you know, why are you trying to make the kids gay? You know, some, one guy even used the word grooming the kids. And the CEO, to his credit, he, he answered the questions, which was, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion is a good thing, and Disney's gonna go full speed ahead because we think it's wonderful. Which, you know, that, I think that was the truth. But it was kind of funny because, I don't know, they had someone call in and was like, why are you making the kids gay? You know, that's not good for growing the business and making money. And then the next caller called in and was like, thank you for making the kids gay. We think this is wonderful. So they kind of alternated. Anyways, Disney stockholders, apparently half of them think it's wonderful and half of them don't like it. And Bob Iger, the CEO, I'm, I'm sure he just, afterwards he's like, ah, it's just a bunch of racist Trump supporters. Uh, and he will, you know, probably make them double down. He's going to make things extra gay. Well, actually, okay, so this meeting started off with a bunch of pre-made videos, you know, of like Iger talking and videos of here's the movies coming out. And none of that stuff mentioned anything political. And then when the and then the calls were like all politics. So I think Disney is trying to get away from it, but then if you bring it up, they will double down on their gay agenda. They're not so secret gay agenda. That's what that's what like one of the ladies at the 
absolute top of Disney said. She's like, yeah, my not-so-secret gay agenda. Although she said that on a Zoom call where she didn't know it was going to get out to the rest of the world. And then they had a Disney Star Wars Celebration 2023 Europe or something the other day. And I think they announced there's going to be a new Disney Plus TV show called Ahsoka. And they're going to make three Star Wars movies. Not a trilogy, each one's going to be separate. And in the last few years, Star Wars, they've announced a trilogy and then basically canceled it. And they've announced two... uh, standalone movies that have been canceled, so who knows if these these three are the ones that are going to get made. But I think they're already, yeah, they've, they, they, they've already made these two TV shows. And so one of them's called The Acolyte, and the other one's called Ahsoka. And, boy, especially Ahsoka, I watched the uh, trailer for it, it is like, it's wall-to-wall women. I think the bad guy is a man. Other than that, it's like, I've never seen so many women in a TV show. And, you know, I'm a knee-jerk, and so I'm like, you know, they're making this all women because they don't have a good idea, so they're like, or, you know, or their only good idea is make it all women, or whatever. I mean, I'm sure that if you're doing all women there, then you got to have a woman director who's possibly going to be incompetent, and then a woman writer is going to possibly be incompetent. Anyways, that's all my knee-jerk reaction. But, I mean, there's lots of shows that are all just men, and you don't think about that. I guess that's that uh, unfair thing where men are the default. So you're like, well, of course it's a male director, writer, all the stars. There's nothing weird about that. So you might go, oh, it's all women. Who cares? I guess, you know, the real issue is, is that the best writers and directors, life is not fair, but they're men. So we'll see if this thing falls flat on its face or not. Um, The Mandalorian is out. The ratings are kind of out. I've heard two numbers. It's either down 20% or down 50%. But people are either completely over the Star Wars TV shows or they're starting to get over the Star Wars TV shows. And the three movies, one of them is the beginning of the Jedi from thousands of years in the past. Another one is it's going to wrap up all the stories from the Disney Plus TV shows. And then the third one, they're going to take Baby Yoda and Ray. That was the girl from the the newest trilogy, and they're going to continue that story. So, I mean, that one sounds like it's the one that's the real Star Wars thing going forward. Whether or not people are hip to that, I don't know. I think Baby Yoda, at this point, is kind of their... It's already starting not to be a bright spot, but it seemed like that was their one bright spot, so they're putting that into the main Star Wars thing going forward. But so Rey is a woman, so I think, you know... With the new rules, that means you got to have a woman director to go along with your woman star. And so they've chosen someone I never heard of, but her name is Charmaine Obeid Chinoy. She's, I don't know, she's Muslim or Indian or something. She's some sort of color, person of color. And I just think her opening sentence on Wikipedia is kind of funny. Here we go. Charmaine Obeid Obeyed Chinoy is a Canadian journalist, filmmaker, and activist known for her work in films that highlight the inequality of women. And I looked at her films and never heard of any of them. And so we will see if that's the resume of a director who can make Star Wars great again. Some guys on YouTube were looking at the number of Twitter followers for Disney movies. And the numbers are not huge, but it gives you a little bit of a 
estimate on the popularity of a movie. Um, like the new Super Mario Brothers movie has about 300,000 followers on Twitter. There's a movie called The Flash, which is a superhero movie that's coming out this year. It had maybe 70,000 followers. And then there's a Pixar cartoon that's coming out shortly, and it has like 7,000 followers. And Disney recently had a movie that came out called Strange World, and like it's it's a Disney cartoon. It's part of, you know, the same thing just like Cinderella and Snow White and The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. Like it was supposed to be part of that group and successful, and it was the biggest flop Disney ever had. But it had, uh, I think, 3,000 Twitter followers. But so if you go by Twitter followers as how the public, how much of the public wants to watch a movie, which is imperfect but interesting, um, it looks like this Pixar movie is about to flop, and we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens with the next Disney stuff after that. So the Super Mario Brothers movie came out, and it opened huge. Now, normally movies have a three-day opening weekend, but this one had a five-day because of Easter and spring break. So, so everything gets an asterisk. So I'll tell you the numbers, but they don't matter. Basically, it made a ton of money in America. It made a ton of money worldwide. It was $204 million in America and $377 million worldwide. And the movie fits into the woke versus anti-woke, basically because animation but it ain't disney it was made by a company called illumination they do the minions movies and despicable me now the biggest animated movies ever i mean not counting like snow white and all that stuff if you adjust for inflation is incredibles 2 and frozen 2 and that was kind of like the last couple disney pixar things right before the pandemic now for the race of the people who went and saw it in america it was 41 percent hispanic 30% white, 15% black, and 14% Asian. And what that sounds like to me was younger people. Oh, it was also 60 to 40 male to female. So young men who like video games went out to see it. And Latinos, they're the, they're the youngest group in America. So anyways, Latinos showed up huge. Uh, white people didn't go that much. Blacks just went the normal amount, and then Asians also showed up huge. And the characters in the movie, they're not, well, they're white. They're white, but America's white people are not racist, so, you know, they didn't show up like, yeah, white people in a movie. But it's interesting because Latinos and Asians showed up like crazy, and because Hollywood's got this idea, oh, if you put a Latino in a movie, or you put a, if you put an X in a movie, then the people who look like that will show up, which that's a theory they have. I don't, I don't, I'm not seeing that pattern. But basically, Latinos and Asians are like, yeah, I'll, I'll watch a cartoon that stars a bunch of white people. And maybe black people actually want to see black people in a movie for them to show up extra. Not sure, but if, if, if anyone <laughs> bases their stuff on race, it's black people. And maybe they don't do it either. So there's three Chris's in Hollywood, they say, and it's Chris Pine, he just did the Dungeons and Dragons movie, Chris Evans, he plays Captain America, and then Chris Pratt, who is the voice of Mario. And you know, if you want to remember what he looks like, he's the main guy in Guardians of the Galaxy. 
But so Chris Pine, I think he stays out of the woke anti-woke. I think Chris Evans likes to go on social media and say woke stuff. And then Chris Pratt keeps his mouth shut, but he is a Christian. He believes in God. And so Hollywood kind of hates him. Woke people hate him. And so anyways, this he's the voice of this movie. The voice did really good, and he's the one that woke people hate. So that's another part of the woke anti-woke battle. And he also does the Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Park, Jurassic World movies. And he's in the Avengers movies. They have these lists where they add up all the movies that you're in, even if you're not the major star of it. And he's maybe number 10 or 5 or 10 right now. But Chris Pratt is probably going to be number 1 here shortly. He's about a billion behind Samuel L. Jackson, who's just in a ton of movies, but most importantly, the Avengers movies. But anyways... The people that woke people hate, about to be number one, because he's got Super Mario Brothers and Guardians of the Galaxy. They're going to add up to a billion, maybe a lot more. And then apparently Super Mario Brothers is very true to the game, as in doesn't have an absolute ton of story. It just, you know, they kind of, whatever, they're in Super Mario Land. And so I played the various oldest Mario games and Super Mario and stuff like that. And if you go to the beginning, it was, originally it was just Mario, and then it was Mario, and he would, he had his brother Luigi, just those two, and then it was just Mario again, and he would save the princess at the end of the level, but the princess wasn't really a, you know, she didn't do anything other than be saved. And then some number of years after I stopped playing him, um, the princess, I don't know, like they had a thing called Mario Kart, and so, like, every character, including, like, the turtles, could, like, drive a go-kart. And so I think she could drive a go-kart. She became, like, a character you could play. And so the guy who created Mario, he's, like, an old Japanese guy, and he, he put his foot down and he said, no, you're not going to make a Hollywood story for Mario. I want it to be like the game. Like, you know, was he, like, you're going to make it woke? Well, okay, so we don't know what the story was going to be. There's a rumor that basically Princess Peach was going to be the star of the show and it would be her saving Mario over and over. Like as a fuck you to <laughs> all the people who love the original game where Mario saved the princess. But that's just a beautiful rumor so far. But if that turns out to be true, which would not surprise me. I mean, if it was Disney, I'm sure the princess would be girl boss and Mario would be like a dumb idiot. But anyways, John Wick 4, Dungeons and Dragons in its second week. I guess John Wick in its fourth week or something. Anyways, John Wick 4, Dungeons and Dragons, and new movie Air, they all made $14.5 million. So there's not a ton to say about that, except that John Wick 4 was looking like a humongous success for anti-woke and instead, it's just going to be a decent success, at least currently. There's no big movies coming out for a month until the Guardians of the Galaxy 3, so any of these movies might make a bunch of money in between now and then. But Dungeons & Dragons cost $150 million, a.k.a. a buttload, and so it's not, it's not like doing that terribly, but for the amount of money it costs, it's doing terribly. John Wick 4 also cost $100. It's not doing that great. And then Air, which is the story of Nike and Michael Jordan, um, for some damn reason, it's just, it's like a play. It just takes place 
<laughs> some famous people talking in a room or whatever, uh, for some reason that thing cost 90 million. And so I think it was by Amazon Prime made it. And so now they're hoping for awards. It's supposed to be a good movie. They're hoping for awards because they're not going to be making a ton of money compared to that 90 million budget. And Super Mario Brothers, it got an A from CinemaScore, so great score. Um, the critics versus the audience. The critics basically hated it, and then the audience loved it. And the critics are, they all, you know, if a movie has a gay character, the critics will give it, you know, if they were going to give it a 5 out of 10, they'll give it about an 8 out of 10 if it has a gay romance or something in it. So it's just, it's another poke in the eye to the woke critics, but... People don't like critics anyways, so I don't think that changes much. So woke, anti-woke, I don't think anything has changed hugely. That stuff's going to come down to whether or not Disney has a bunch of flops that come out in the next year. But what it does change, Hollywood has no good ideas, it seems like, ever, and I think they're going to start making movies based on video games like crazy. We're going to see a ton of those. They're going to try and cash in like, oh, look, it had no story. You can't fail. And then they're going to make movies that are absolutely terrible that fail and hopefully some good ones that I can enjoy. Twitter handle at Anti-Woke Podcast. Please tell a friend about this podcast and thanks for listening.